All right. So we're going to continue. We're going to have a part two today. Uh, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the armor of God. And it's interesting. Uh, Jordan, thank you for the little nugget to kick us off. And, you know, he, he, he shared a book title and really the heart of why. The why behind it. And I'm hoping and I'm, I'm encouraged by some of my conversations with you that because you're understanding the why behind the necessity of the armor of God, you're actually using the armor of God. Amen? You're actually putting it on. You're more aware. And I believe that because you weren't, you know, like in church, you know, as a youth pastor, I'm very aware that sometimes in church, uh, you know, we talk at you and we tell you a lot of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Uh, Maybe even as a parent, sometimes we get caught up into that with our kids. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to avoid. This is what, you know, and, and we don't really spend a lot of time explaining the why. And I have found in parenting, in ministry, if we spend a good amount of time on the why, people get the what. And they'll embrace the what. And they'll buy into the what. And they'll be motivated uh, to do what they need to do um, because they understand the why behind it. And so in this passage, uh, 6, 10 through 17, we'll read it. Uh, it's just a reminder of the why. And putting on the pieces of armor are really been the what. What do we do? So let's read it together. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus and the surrounding region. He says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in the first verses there, really uh, 10 uh, through 13, you kind of get the why. Why do we need the armor of God? Well, there's a devil and there are evil forces scheming against you individually. That scheme, again, is not a general scheming like they're generally evil. And so they're doing generally evil things. That word scheme means, again, They are scheming against you. They know you. They know you personally. And so they're scheming, strategizing, desiring to devour, destroy your testimony, destroy your marriage, destroy your life, destroy your family, because they know you. That's a pretty profound why, right? The second why in there is that And putting on the whole armor of God, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So one of the whys is that we're in a spiritual war being schemed against. Another big why is that when we put on the whole armor of God, we can stand. Amen. We can stand. We're victorious. We don't have to live defeated Bummed out, depressed, discouraged lives in Christ, we can stand. 
We can stand individually and then we stand together. Two profound whys as to when you get up in the morning, you should put on the whole armor of God. Right? Now, I've said before, if you don't take the time to get these whys from here to here, you probably will just wake up and get about your day. And maybe not think about uh, the enemy scheming against you, and suddenly now you're reactive, and suddenly you're wondering why, oh, why is this happening again? And, and you're just living this yo-yo Christian existence. Mostly a lot of that happens because you just wake up and you get into life unaware. You don't suit up. You don't put on the armor. You don't do all of the things we've been talking about for months now. And I encourage you, if you're new and you haven't um, been with us, go back to even just this mini-series on the armor of God. How many of you have found it very practically helpful for you, right? You're just like, yes, I'm, I'm ready for the day. How many of you have found yourself ready for the day? How many have found yourself reacting differently during the day, right? I mean, there's been, I've had some wonderful conversations where people have sort of done this little spike in spiritual maturity, all because you're into the word and you're simply hearing and doing, and in fact, that, that passage in James says, you will be blessed in what you do. So you're reaping the blessing of hearing and obeying. And so uh, last week we started on uh, this uh, last piece of armor, which is the sword of this, called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, the Bible, if you want to call it that, right? And uh, we've been following this guy, he's a different piece of armor, been highlighted. Uh, that right there, the Roman sword is called a gladius. It's known as the sword that conquered the world, about 20 to 30 inches long, about two pounds, okay? Tapered point, sharpened, razor sharp, both sides. That point is designed to pierce armor. And if you notice the length of the sword, this, this is designed for close quarters combat. This isn't shooting arrows at each other. So you better know how to use your gladius because... We're talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat now, right? And, you know, as I think about this, I shared last Sunday, when, when we shift into speaking about the Bible, sometimes those of us who have been in the church for any length of time, we kind of check out because, oh, yeah, the Bible. Yeah, I believe in the Bible. Yeah, I have a Bible. I've got many Bibles. I've had a Bible since, you know, I got a, you know, I got a Bible this. And, I, you know, and, and in our culture, uh, unlike other parts of the world, we are inundated with Bibles. Almost to the point where we are numb to the Bible. Right? Even to the point where you might even be here or at home, you don't even know where your Bible is. And other people in parts of the world would give an arm and a leg for that Bible that you don't know where it is. Right? And, and it's just part of, you know, I shared this phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. We're so familiar with the Bible that we don't even recognize it as the Word of God, appreciate it as the Word of God, let alone specifically what we were talking about here as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, I'm a very active learner and I try to get you engaged. So, again, the Bible, what you have, whether you're Barry's still got the paper, which is great. Many of you have gone digital, right? So what we did last Sunday is, is just, if you have with you a sword of the Spirit, Word of God, just hold it up. In recognition of what you're holding up. Sword of the Spirit. Everyone say, sword of the Spirit. Word of 
God. I want to say God. Right? Because you got to like, sometimes you got to shake it up and you go, wait, this is the word of God. Like the God of the universe communicated to man in a way that we can understand supernaturally. What you're holding is is a supernatural book. And yet many of us have just relegated the Bible to Barnes and Noble self-help section. It's not the word of God. It's a glorified self-help book. So as you sit here this morning, here at home, listening during the week, what is the Bible to you? Is it the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the God of the universe, speaking through his Holy Spirit to you and me as believers? We can even get it, right? So we're going to do it one more time, but I'm going to try to change. I did this last Sunday, uh, but we're going to change it a little bit. So if you have a sword of the spirit, a word of God, hold it up. Hold up. Now, what would happen, hold, keep on up, is Paul was in prison when he wrote this, probably under guard by a Roman soldier, and the soldier would have a gladius. This is a gladius. This is a replica of what Paul is referencing that you are holding up. You can put it down. Now, in our leadership meeting this morning, I pulled this out and I said, and I just passed it around. And suddenly, it, it's a different take on Ephesians 6.17, isn't it? It's not just a glorified self-help book. It's not that church thing I need to bring to church, or they tell me to read every day. It's a gladius. Designed for close-quarter combat. Designed for real-life stuff. Right? Barry, just a second. That feel. Right? It's weighty. Right? Serious. This is serious. And Paul in Ephesians 6.17 says, take up the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Barry, hold up your spirit. Uh, can I borrow it? I mean, maybe this will help. I'm going to lose your page, but I know you'll find it. Does that change anything? Does that help you understand the significance of what Paul said? Take up the sword of spirit, the word of God. Right? It's important. There's a big why behind this, right? There's a big why behind this. And we saw last Sunday that it's called the sword of the spirit. Well, the Bible tells us that that man, flesh, was used by the spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to transmit God's word, right? That's how we got it. But we also saw that you need the Holy Spirit to truly understand and use the sword of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. 
And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That, that is a foundational, fundamental passage. What it says is, you know what? If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you are able to understand spiritual things. Amen? Specifically, in this case, the Bible. You understand it. A person who does not have the Holy Spirit, they can read the Bible. I'm not saying it's not you know, a good thing to read. But they're not going to get it in the spiritual truth sense. How many of you have ever tried to share the Bible with someone who's not a believer and they just look at you or that was you. You just looked at your friend who tried to share the scripture before, right? You're like, yeah, rock on dude. That, that's good for you. I remember people sharing scripture with me before I was a believer. I listened and I, you know, I was smart enough to understand what it was saying, but in the spiritual sense, I was spiritually dead, spiritually blind. It was folly to me, All right? Good moral principles, but I didn't see it as a living word of God. Right? So we saw it's the sword of the spirit. You got to have the Holy Spirit to understand. And if you do, it says this last, that last verse, we have the mind of Christ. If you are a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and supernaturally, you can understand spiritual things. Amen? So you're a miracle. Don't ever minimize. Again, it's, a, it's amazing how many believers are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the temple of the third person of the Trinity. The third person of the Trinity lives in me, and I can understand spiritual truth. That's a wow moment. That's like a supernatural moment, and yet over time, we just become dull to that, right? And again, I believe that that dullness and that apathy, there's schemes of the enemy in there. Just become dull, just like the blade can become dull over time. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me, Right? And we forget the supernatural power behind the word of God. I love this story. Charles Spurgeon, famous uh, minister. He tells a story of the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. He says this. I wish that it might happen to you as it did with my dear friend, Mr. Haslam, whom God has blessed to the conversion of so many. Mr. Haslam is a preacher a preacher used by God for the conversion of many, right? But this is what happened to Mr. Haslam. He was preaching a sermon that he did not understand. And while he preached it, he converted himself. By God's grace, he began to feel the power of the Holy Spirit and the force of divine truth. He so spoke that a Methodist in the congregation called out, the parson is converted. And so the parson was. He owned it and praised God for it. And all the people sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. His own utterances concerning Christ crucified had been the power of God unto salvation to him. A pastor is preaching the word of God and gets saved by the power of the Holy Spirit while he's preaching the word of God. Amen. Come on. I told you. I shared this with you before. Just because someone is up here talking at you on a Sunday morning doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't. It's just, it's just a lecture at that point. It's an academic exercise. I could teach the entire Bible to you not being saved because it's just an academic exercise. 
This is what it says. This is what it means. This is what it says. This is what it means. Whole supernatural difference when you get saved. Amen. I love this story. This guy was used by God, brought many to Christ, wasn't saved. He gets saved preaching to his own church. His own words. And I've shared that with you. I'm up here and I, you know, I study, study, study. And then sometimes on Sunday up here, you know, when I come in, before I come in, I'm like, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I just want to be in the spirit. Oftentimes there's things up here that I'll say, even, you know, Barry knows this and others, Jordan knows this. And it's not even in my notes. And I'll say something and I'm like, oh, dude, that was good. I have to write that down for me. Because <laughs> God's like, oh, that was pretty cool, right? And I don't say that like arrogantly. I'm saying like the Spirit like speaking to me in my own life as I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Like, you better remember that for you, preacher boy, right? So he speaks to me even as I'm speaking to you. And I'm like, dude, that pastor got saved. And you know what I love about in this story? He owned it. He owned it. I love that, right? The pastor like owned it to his congregation. <laughs> I wonder how that went down. The Parsons got converted. He's like, hey, yo, I think I just got saved. <laughs> Can you imagine how many people would be like slick? I've been coming to this church for how many years and he just got saved? It's supernatural, guys. It's a supernatural book empowered by a supernatural God and if you're a believer, you have that same supernatural presence in your life. Right? That's what we're talking about. That's why Jordan says, you know, why did you come today? When we gather, it's a supernatural gathering. This isn't just, I'm hoping this isn't some ritualistic routine thing that you do just because it's a good thing for good moral people to show up at 10 a.m. to church in America. I hope that you're coming to a supernatural gathering of the redeemed. Like when we, I, I, I hope you come and you understand when we sing and when we pray that God is actually here listening and responding. Amen? That's what I hope gets you to church. Because it ain't coffee and donuts anymore. Well, at least not donuts because we can't do donuts and cheese. So I'm like, okay, not the donuts and cheese. We still have coffee. Maybe it's the fellowship, but I hope you're like, man, I got to get to church. It's a supernatural gathering of people who have been supernaturally born again and people who can supernaturally understand spiritual things. Amen. This is a supernatural gathering, guys. And I've told you repeatedly, if some of my friends from high school showed up in Ohio on a Sunday and walked in that door, they would be like, what are you doing up there, bud? <laughs> How many of you have friends in your life from high school, if they saw you as a believer today, would be stunned? It's a supernatural work. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? How many bear that testimony? How many would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am? Right? That's the celebration. That's why we get together. Because we're all redeemed. None of us have it together. We're not going to have it together on this planet. And then one day, we're all going to be with Marv. Marvin Jesus, and all the other believers that went ahead of us. Amen? Amen. Right? But until then, we got we to gotta get clear on the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's the only piece of armor that's offensive and defensive. Okay? question is, do you know how to use it? Do you want to use it? Right? So we saw when it says Word of God, so we get sword of Spirit, Word of God. Last week, we saw it, that there's two Greek words for Word. And you have to get this to understand uh, 
what Paul is saying here. The first word is logos. Everyone say logos. logos. All right. Uh, and you'll see it here, right? Logos versus chema. Logos means complete revelation of God. That would be the whole Bible. Canon of scripture. 66 books, right? Chema is a specific scriptural truth for a specific situation. That's the word he's using here. Let me give you an example. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, Lagos, and the word, was, the word Lagos was with God, and the word Lagos was God. Okay? Very specific use of word. In Ephesians 6.17, it says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word chema of God. You've got to understand this. Because a lot of believers... You're not living the life that you could be because you just sort of have lived your life generally believing about, generally believing in the Bible, being very broad and general in your affirmation of scriptural truths, but you've never gone really from Lagos to Rema. Okay? Ray Stedman says this, the word Lagos refers to the total utterance of God, the complete revelation of what God has said. The second word, Rema, means a specific saying of God, a passage or a verse that has special application to an immediate situation. It implies a use of the word of God that is applied to a specific experience in our lives. You're dealing with worry? Look up verses specific to worry, fear, anxiety. You have to get into the hema. Specific scriptures for specific situations. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, in broad terms, oh, yeah, just trust God. Oh, just pray about it. No. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the chema of God. If you're going through something right now as you're sitting, wherever you are listening to this, have you taken the time to open the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, for your specific situation? Have you done that? That's what you need to do according to what Paul is saying. And so this morning, we're probably going to go to a part three, maybe a part four on this, because we have to really slow the jets down. Because it's so easy to gloss over. Oh, yeah, just believe the Bible. Oh, yeah, you know, Lagos, Rema. We got we to go, wait. You know, if, if it's as serious as you're saying, Pastor, why am I struggling with even wanting to read it, let alone memorize it, let alone study specific scriptures for specific situations. Why am I struggling with it? If it's a serious and if it's close quarters and it's hand to hand and it's blades and it's sharpened, why am I, why don't, why am I struggling with motivation? And this morning, I just want to spend some time and let God through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit Speak to your heart and my heart about maybe some issues about why we haven't been so motivated to pick it up and use it like we're supposed to, okay? In Hebrews 5, writer says this. He's speaking to believers, and he really wants to tell them more about Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus, but he says this. About this, we have much to say, the priesthood of Jesus, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's saying, hey guys, I'd really like to go deeper with you and talk to you about Jesus and his priesthood, but here's the deal. 
you become dull of hearing. I'm just going to speak the truth to you in love, guys. You become dull of hearing. The problem isn't me as a teacher. The problem isn't the content. The problem is that over time, you've become dull. And then he gets real specific. In fact, many of you here online, you should be teachers by now. But you're still babies. You're still immature. You're still children. And we looked at this passage last Sunday, and I just couldn't escape it for this. And I was like, why would they become dull of hearing? Why do we become dull of hearing? I don't know how many years you've been coming to church, but I'm wondering about Rema for you. Should you be a teacher? Now, we're not talking like a Bible study teacher. We're just talking about, in general, being able to speak scripturally to one another. Not in vague general terms, but speak scriptural truth to one another. We're all called to be teachers in that capacity. And so we just wonder, as you sit here, how is your hearing? Has it become dulled? Should you be teaching? Should you be out there sharing the gospel? And I'm going to be honest with you. I think one of the challenges in the American church is that American churches are financially able to hire the professionals. And in a weird way, it creates this dependency on us and a passivity from your end. And so when counseling issues come up or situations in your life come up, I'm not saying don't call us, but usually, and what you're going to get around here, if you call me or one of the elders, we're going to turn it right back around and say, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Let's look at scripture together. But in a weird, strange way in our culture, we have the professional clergy who does all the teaching and kind of let everyone else off the hook. Now, if you go to another country and they can't hire professionals and it's the laity rotating and speaking, it, it whole different vibe, right? Better know your stuff, because Barry, you're up next, and then Jordan, you're up next, and then and you're like, what? Yeah, why not? You got the Holy Spirit? Right? If I were to tap one of you on the shoulder and said, hey, next Sunday, can you share your testimony? How many of you hearts would race right now? Thank you for your honesty, right? I'm going to ask one more time, because not everyone was as honest. If I were to go around and tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what? I'm filling up testimony dates for the next, every Sunday from now until Jesus comes back, we're going to have a testimony. And I'd just like to know what date you would like to share your testimony. How many of your hearts are racing right now, wondering if I'm actually kind of serious? It's just your testimony. It's a testimony. It's not even teaching. Right? Where is that coming from? Where's that coming from? It's like a testimony of a supernatural work of God in your life. You want, Come on up. Now, I get the public speaking part, but we have this weird false belief that we're inadequate. We're not skilled enough. We're not smart enough. Look, Barry, I got the mind of Christ. You got the mind of Christ. I got the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit. Now, we may not all have the same levels of gifting of teaching, right? But at the core... Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you willing? Even just start with your testimony with Grandma Scripture, right? It's funny because oftentimes in 30 years of ministry, when I ask someone to share the testimony, 
90 plus percent of the time, I will hear this, I don't have one. You don't have a testimony? You mean you knew Jesus from birth? <laughs> like, you were born again at birth? I mean, if you were saved, you have a testimony. Amen? The testimony was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Somehow or another, when, when you, I, and I understand this and I love you dearly, I know when you say, I don't have a testimony, it's like, I know, my life's been pretty comfortable, and I was a good person, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a gangbanger, and I didn't do drugs, and I wasn't strung out on alcohol, so I don't have a testimony. Oh, yes, you do. Everybody who is converted and has a born-again experience with Jesus, you have a testimony. Amen? Now, the, the, the issue is, sometimes when we think about sharing our testimony, we make it me-heavy. I have to share my story, and I have to, you know, it's my whole, no, what you have to do is give glory to God and share the word of God that spoke to you. Your story is sort of the filler for the word of God, amen? You see how testimonies bear witness to God because you use scripture in your testimony. I will like read testimonies in 30 years, and like 99% of it is their biography, and there's no scripture in it. I'm like, What's your favorite verse? Uh, what verse did God use in your life to transform you? Um, you need to share the verses. You see, this is trying to teach and equip people to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, even in how we define testimonies. Okay? So he, who here is ready to share their testimony? <laughs> A little nervous. Thank you, Emily. Awesome. We have to be equipped. And we have to be honestly to say, we have to be honest and say, why am I dull of hearing? Am I still a spiritual baby? Why am I scared to share my testimony, let alone just share scripture with somebody? Right? Where does that come from? What lies have we bought into about our inadequacy? And I just gotta remind you again. You share the verses, the Holy Spirit does the convicting. He just needs people out there sharing scripture. And let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit can do in someone's heart and mind. Amen? Amen. Okay, we just got to be ready for that. And, and here's the other thing too. When it comes to uh, spiritual maturity, it's not about knowledge acquisition. I got to know more and more and more, and then I'm going to be mature. You know what spiritual maturity is really based, is really rooted in as a believer? Obedience. How much you're obeying and applying what you already know. I shared with, can I use your Bible again, Barry? I shared with you several times, the Bible was not given for information. It was given for transformation. Spiritual maturity is not fundamentally based on how much of this data you memorize and know. Spiritual maturity is really linked to what are you doing with you, what you already know. Right? That's why somebody who gets saved, gets into God's word and just begins to take it and do it, take it and do it, take it. They can like, shh, 
up in spiritual maturity within a year, whatever, and someone who's sitting in church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and it's just been knowledge acquisition, they're still babies. They've never grown. There's a radical difference between knowledge acquisition and putting it into play if you want to be spiritually mature, right? Ray Stedman says this, I read of a principal in a high school who had an administrative post to fill. He promoted one of his teachers with 10 years of teaching experience to the job. When the announcement was made, another teacher in this school came to him terribly upset. She said, why did you put that teacher in this position? He has only had 10 years of experience, and I've had 25 years. Yet you passed me over in favor of him. And the principal said, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You haven't had 25 years of experience. You've had one year's experience 25 times. And I sit there and I'm like, okay, there's 52 Sundays in a year. How many of us just have 52 one-offs at church? And I'm like, what is that? And, and we have to just kind of be honest. The starting point is, Lord, am I really maturing? Meaning, am I really hearing and doing? Obedience, applying what little I think I know, but applying that, starting there? Or have I slid into knowledge acquisition mode? And I've deceived myself, like it says in James, I'm now deceived that hearing is good enough. And the more I hear, the more mature I am. No, that's actually a very dangerous place to be. Because now you're deceived. You've deceived yourself that you're spiritually mature because of the amount of knowledge you have. Very dangerous place to be. It's very deceptive. Okay? So there's this heart issue of where am I in my maturing, my hearing, am I dulled? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It could be a pride issue, complacency issue, right? Tim Challey says this, The more I live this Christian life, the more I see that there is a spiritual level of truth in that old and worn phrase, the best defense really is a good offense. The best way to protect my heart and life is to be constantly on the offensive. It is in those times that I ease off, those times where I grow complacent and disinterested, that I am most prone to sin, most prone to wandering. It is in those times that I begin to lose battles. The words of 1 Corinthians ten twelve seem applicable. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. When I think I can stand on my own power, I am priming myself for a great fall. So maybe it's just pride. Maybe right now your life is pretty comfortable and there's no like felt need to be in the word. Right? I think of the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. This is what Jesus says to them. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Laodicea was a very, very wealthy commercial town. Lots of wealth coming in and out. And that wealth materially seeped into the church. And suddenly the church people were like, we're good. We're good. I don't need, 
don't need to go to church. I don't need to pray. My Bible, ah, I'll get to it. Honestly, they were just good. Their material wealth made them spiritually lazy and complacent. And Jesus says, you know what? You're wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. He like it. Just called them out spiritually. And that's an ouch statement for us living in Ojai in Southern California because we're pretty darn comfortable. I'm not saying that there's not economic hardships during the pandemic especially, but for the most part, one of our struggles is that we're just healthy and comfortable. And that material wealth bleeds into our spiritual lives, and now we just, ah, okay, okay. Compare that to what in Job 23. Look at this heart, this, this, this sense of need. Look at this. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. You do that? Do I do that? Do I treasure God's word more than daily food? Psalm 119, I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Verse 103, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You see the difference? There's those verses like someone who's like totally lit and enthused for the word of God. Gets it. I need. It's this sense of need. I need the word of God more than money. I need the word of God more than honey. I just need the word of God. And it's a joy. So the question for us today is, where are you with that when it comes to the word of God? What has happened? What has happened? And where, what, what is the enemy scheming in your mind right now as you sit here and listen to this? What is the enemy possibly scheming to keep you dull of hearing? Because as long as you're dull of hearing, they don't need to mess with you. You're fine, right? So we got this heart issue. Maybe it's an authority issue, a truth issue. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, uh, be complete, equipped for every good work. Honestly, maybe you have issues with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, because you're still not settled that it's the authority in your life. You're still the authority in your life. Maybe you're not settled that it's truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Maybe you're struggling with where you're at with the sword of the spirit because you're struggling with authority and truth issues. You're not willing to submit to it, right? Maybe you're still... Your authority in your life, honestly, social media, mainstream media, yourself. Who or what is the authority and source of truth in your life? And if you're wondering, just look in the last seven days. Where did you listen to most? What was the priority for you to get your information and direction? <laughs> what were you listening to? What was, what, was the, what was the TV turned on to? What was the... You know, the Spotify or what podcast were you listening to, whatever, what social media. Who's the authority and truth in your life? Where are you getting it? And if it's not first and foremost the word of God, you're going to get your hearing dulled. Because all these things are going to be competing in your heart and mind for authority and truth. Right? 
And then you're going to get so locked in, and then you're probably going to, at some point, going to go, you know what? I shared this with you before during the pandemic. One of the things that I noticed when it came to masks and, and vaccines and all this stuff that we were getting is that there was such a, a discrepancy in, a, in this huge spectrum of conflicting information that was coming at us that many people just threw up their hands because they didn't know who to believe, so they just resorted to themselves. You and I, many people became the authority of how we felt about various things during the pandemic because we were just so frustrated about all the different opinions we were hearing, right? You didn't know who to believe. Who's the authority? What's the truth? Can someone just tell me the truth? Well, in your spiritual life, we know the truth, the word of God, amen? And it's authoritative. You got to drive those two stakes in the ground. And everything you hear and see in this world, you got to filter it through the Word of God. Right? Can I use your Bible one more time? I don't think I could do it with yours, Barry. You've seen me do this before. I don't know if I could do this. Right? This is how I, this is how I view the Word of God. Everything I see on TV and in the world around me first comes through the Word of God. Everything I hear goes through the word of God. It's my filter. So when I hear and I read things online, you know what I go? I go, what does the Bible say about that? How does that jive with scripture? I just don't like passively receive this stuff. And you shouldn't either. The Bible should be the authority and the truth. Okay, you got to settle those issues. I talked about, you know, we're all teachers. Many of us would affirm the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is Jesus talking to? Pastors? Who's Jesus talking to? His disciples. Us. And what are, what are we supposed to do in fulfilling the Great Commission? Go out, baptize, and teach. This isn't directed at pastors. The church as a whole is part of the Great Commission. We should be baptizing and teaching. Even the fundamentals. Even the fundamentals. We should be defending the faith. What if someone came to you and say, hey, what does the Bible say about the deity of Jesus? Hey, what does the Bible say about, um, I, I heard someone say that you were saved by grace through faith, not by works. Hey, can you tell me where that's found in the Bible? Hey, um, I, I heard, why is the resurrection important again? Can you show me that in the Bible? Could you? Could you? Or would you just like give them my phone number and call, say, okay, you know, Pastor Richie would love to answer that for you. Right? See, Charlie, can I use your phone here? What, what's pretty funny is I'm still a, you know, I came to faith in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And back then, pretty much most of us just had this version of the Bible. These hadn't come out yet. Right? And so... You know, if you had your Bible and you were out, but it was rare because we all had kind of these big ones, right? So you wouldn't necessarily carry this to work or out on the street, right? And so the difference between 
90s and 2021 is y'all are carrying your swords in your back pocket and purses. It's with you. And if you need a Bible app, we can show you which app. And it's not even like you necessarily have to have it memorized, like because if we didn't have it with us, the big book, right? It would, you'd really sense this. Idea. But now you can open up an app and at least memorize the reference and show them the reference. But technology has allowed the church to carry the sword of the Spirit everywhere. Amen? It's with you everywhere. The question is, do you know how to use it? Actually, probably the more fundamental question is, do you want to? Do you want to? After all the years you've been in church, where are you? Are you enthused to share it? Right? To be used by God. And so I just, I just want to encourage us as we kind of wrap up and prepare for communion. Just this week is like, okay, you know, we'll see this, and wow, that's pretty cool, and that's real, and that's a cool-looking sword, and I get it. The question is, are you going to be different when you leave here in what you're going to do with your sword? Are you going to be different? I was a youth pastor, family pastor. We used to call them sword drills with the youth. Memorizing verses, memorizing the order of the books of the Bible, Bible competition. We would call them sword drills. So the question is, when you leave here, are you going to be more motivated than when you arrived here to learn how to use your sword? And we're going to talk in the weeks ahead. We're going to give you some sword drills, and we're going to try to you know, go from heart to hand. Okay, yeah, I want to. But I've never really, no one's ever taught me how to use the sword right. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about it on a few Sundays here. But the real, I can't, I could talk all I want, but if your heart's not in it, it's like trying to motivate a soldier, right? I got to tell you, I got to believe Roman soldiers are pretty motivated to learn how to use their swords <laughs> because of the nature of their occupation. They had the motivation to go every day and train. Every day in train, every day in train, because they knew they were going to be in battle. Well, we saw in Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, we're in a battle every day as well. We're in a battle every day as well. Okay? So it's a heart issue, and I thought, let's, let's have an opportunity for communion as a church family here and at home. We're going to have a, a, a chema opportunity for communion. This is what I mean. In 1 Corinthians 11... The Apostle Paul is calling out the church in Corinth because they have what's called an agape meal. And then afterwards, they would have communion. But what this agape meal, we call it a potluck. So they would gather for a, a potluck, agape meal, and they would be people from different economic strata, very wealthy, very poor, right? And so what was happening in the church in Corinth, the church, mind you, is that they would gather and people were getting drunk, and they weren't even waiting for everyone to arrive. They would just start scarfing food. And so people were going hungry who got there late, right? And it was very self-centered, and it was just divisive. He says, there's divisions among you. And so this agape meal, supposed to be a love meal, supposed to be unifying, and right? It's all about me. Let's go party at, you know, Randy's house, potluck. Oh, you came too late. Sorry, no food left. And so the church is gathering, and then immediately after this, self-centered, selfish, divisive, drunken gathering, they say, let's have communion. 
Let's, let, let's have communion. And the apostle Paul's like, yo, time out. And he has a chrema moment. And I think it's applicable for us to let the spirit speak to us. This is what he says. This is the context. First Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, very traditional passage, but let's keep reading. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drink, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined that we may not be condemned along with the world. There's a huge Rama moment right here. Because he says, you know what? God is bringing his judgment on you, Church of Corinth. You come here with the wrong heart, and then suddenly you're just going to take communion because it's ritual and routine. Because you know, that's why some of you are weak, sick, and have actually died. God has brought his judgment. God is not mocked. You just can't go through this ritual thing after you've lived for yourself and gotten drunk and don't give a rip about the unity of the church. That's a powerful moment. And I, I thought for us today, he says, examine yourself before you take communion. Examine yourself. And so we're going to do that. Vinny, you guys can come up. We're going to take communion, but before you even take the cups in front of you, think about what we just read in Corinthians. Think about any issues you might have with the Lord that you need to confess. Think about issues you might have with other believers that you might need to make right. Is your heart right? and ready to truly take communion in the way that we're supposed to. And if it's not, then don't until you make it right. And if you need to confess and ask God's forgiveness before you reach for that cup, then do that and make it right. But based on the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the rema, let the Spirit speak to your heart individually, specific to this situation, right at this very moment, at this very day, a specific application of the Word of God to you and where you stand with God right now before you reach for the cup. And I will bet that suddenly communion will be different because you're responding to the Word of God and doing it biblically in the Spirit. 
Father, thank you for giving us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we confess our heart struggles in this area. Confess our dullness, perhaps our apathy, our complacency. We confess that we've not accepted the responsibility to be teachers and defenders and disciple makers and even evangelists. We, we confess even our fears and anxieties of even speaking your word. Oh, Father, there's nothing hidden from your sight. So individually, search our hearts this morning. And then, Father, you, you, you spoke very specifically to the church at Corinth about what was going on before communion. And you said, whoa, 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 you can't just make this a ritual. Whoa, this cannot just be a Sunday church thing. This is serious. So, Father, we pause before we reach for the cups and let you examine our hearts. And if there's anything that we need to make right, we will. We'll confess it, we'll ask for your forgiveness, and we'll receive that forgiveness. And we'll take communion in a worthy manner this morning. And so as uh, Vinny and Shiloh sing, the cups are there. Um, when you're ready, you can have a time of prayer, reach for the cup, take communion, open the bread, and then flip it over and take the juice. But this is between you and the Lord this morning. It's a, it's a chema moment based on 1 Corinthians, specific application to this specific opportunity to take communion with the right heart.